0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dark Rhino Security Confidential. I'm your host, Manoj Tandon, and today we are honored to have a great guest join us. He is Tim Chase. Tim is a field CISO, a professional speaker, an author, an ethical hack- hacker. He is a certified application security engineer. He's also a LinkedIn learning instructor who writes training modules about DevOps and DevSecOps. Tim is an expert at resolving challenging security incidents with a short turnaround time. He's a graduate of Tennessee Tech and the University of Phoenix. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you for being here.
1: Thanks, Manoj. I appreciate it.
0: So, uh, Tim, you have uh, quite a background there, and there's a host of topics that we want to try and cover today. I hope we can get through them all in the in the next hour or so. But you know, I'll I'm going to start this off with a topic that's that we every day hear about in the news. And that's ransomware. It seems to be pervasive in our and we have uh, an extensive audience. Unfortunately, a lot of them have had direct personal experience of this topic, uh, specifically ransomware as a service. What do you shed some light on this topic for us? Where do you see ransomware going? How is it evolving and um, who is it impacting?
1: I mean, I think you, you kind of said it in your in your question there. So if I think back to ransomware when it first started, we used to see it kind of very targeted, right? Um, the the bad guys out there would find uh, corporations that they wanted to go after. They would find people who had the money. Maybe they wanted some some of their data and they would be very targeted. But I think what we're seeing now is um, we're, we're seeing kind of that shift to ransomware as a service where, um, you know, the... You've got someone who builds the actual ransomware themselves, and then they kind of, for a percentage, will give it out to other groups, and then they just get a cut of what they get back. And so because of how easy it is, I think we're starting to see it be um, kind of work downstream in the, um, you know, not just the enterprises anymore, but it's working um, down to the the middle tier in, in the small business. Right. And and so I think one of the reasons behind that, obviously, is uh, just kind of the pervasiveness of the digital era that we live in, right? Even small and medium businesses are moving um, a lot of things online, they're using more cloud services. Um, So I think that we're going to continue to see um, it be not necessarily be a targeted attack per se, but I think it's just a um, an opportunity for them, right? Because they can look and they can see, just do some scans and find out where maybe you have open ports, where they have servers that are exposed, um, where they can find the credentials that have been hacked. Right. And they just use that kind of as a target of opportunity. Yeah. So I think we're just going to kind of see it be, um, less targeted towards specific enterprises and then more just, um, you know, kind of targets of opportunity. Um, if that makes sense.
0: No, it, it makes a lot of sense. And when they're looking at opportunity and a business is looking at their exposure, is there not an element of where they may fit in the supply chain of whatever they are providing? Right. Because mm-hmm. we remember that the target. Breach happened from an HVAC contractor. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's and we've seen that a few times. Right. There was um, if you look at another incident that we saw, I think, last year um, with one of the oil pipelines. Right. It was breached through yeah. another contractor and, and like that. And so if you. Take a, the other spin on it. That tends to be more um, kind of the third-party risk, uh, where we see people get that's still targeted by um, specific, uh, I would say, uh, adversaries that are looking to to make um, yeah. waves. Right. So there are still people that are going to go out there and have uh, uh, methods of opportunity where they say, you know what, if I stop these people, I know that they will pay. Um, and so that, so we will, I think, continue to, to see that as well, where, um, they'll use, they'll find their way in through third parties. Cause maybe the third parties don't have the level of security that the, um, that the larger enterprises do. So they'll continue to find yep. their way through HVAC contractors or, um, or whatever it happens to, you know, to be some sort of third party. You're exactly generally. right,
0: Tim. And you make a great point. And I think our listeners, uh. That's something that they should make a note of just because you're a small business and and you may feel that you don't have a target on you. You should look at who your clients are and are they a target and where you fit in their supply chain. Mm -hmm. And that may be a very valid reason for you to become a target in addition to people doing things opportunistically.
1: And and that's a whole other area that we could really get into, right? The whole third party security, um, you know, because that's a whole other Uh, risk that we're seeing more and more these days, not just like in the ransomware vein, but, you know, that's the way that that people target to get inside uh, larger organizations. And so third party risk um, is a huge um, topic in amongst itself, you know, in in everywhere from our government all the way through the the private sector.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, we'll try and uh, we'll try and get to that. I I hope uh, we get a little bit of time here because there's there's just so many things uh, that we want to get through to with you. So when you look at um, a lot of organizations uh, have started to build out their own portals, they've built their own applications. There's there's custom work going on that helps them propagate their goods and services electronically in the market space. A lot of those things are built on open source code. Mm -hmm. How can they actually go about ensuring that those applications are secure? What are some of What's your advice for that?
1: Um, Yeah, it's tough, right? Because if you think about it, you could have anybody contributing um, to these projects. Um, The the projects themselves try and do a good job of of utilizing maybe the internal um, security practices um, that places like GitHub have. Um, And then also using kind of the community review of the source code that's contributed. So they they try and do it that way. but I think a couple of pieces of advice that, that I always give um, is, obviously, number one, ensure that you're um, keeping it updated. Uh, and that may sound simple, but um, over and over again, you know, we see somebody install something and then never go back to look um, to see that th- if there are any updates, you know, and everything. Um, if, if you're running an open source project that is hopefully maintained, which is another point yeah. right make sure that you're using something that is maintained regularly not just you know you look at the last update and it's like from a year ago um yeah so so look at that and keep it updated because as, as things like log 4j and others come out you know that you're going to have members of the community that are going to go back up there and update it and push that out so that's that's the number one piece of advice um that i would give but um i think number two is you know uh I don't. I don't trust anything, right? And I think that if you go back to one of the core tenets of um, security 101, when you're first learning security, is defense in depth, right? And so, um, obviously, make sure that whatever open source you're running, make sure that you have um, the proper monitoring in place, the logging in place, the the antivirus, EDR sort of protections in place as well, um, wherever you're running it, and then. Um, make sure that you're, uh, depending on what you're running, make sure your, your permissions are set correctly, right? So don't just install um, this software just right in your network, but try and limit where, uh, wh- what it, where it can talk to, right? Make sure that you don't, uh, if, if it only has to um, talk to a certain amount of servers, then kind of use network access controls to limit it, right? Don't just give it pervasive access. So use some sort of segmentation um, as well to make to it to kind of understand. That.
0: so that sounds like uh instrument the heck out of it as much as much as you can that as much as you really can because I, I heard you say you know edr some of these tools um, may not be available to the to the small business crowd but still uh they they need to figure out ways of logging of instrumenting they can certainly do privileged account management even if they don't have technology there's processes you can put in place to make sure that you're giving privileged access, not to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you the number of databases that we've come across that still have their original factory passwords. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that makes sense, right? So so make sure that you don't use it, leave any of the defaults. Right. Uh, Make sure that you you change all of that when you're when you're doing the install uh, because the Uh, defaults are out there for everyone to see for sure.
0: That's exactly right. And and, and in fact, I've seen it like in in companies of of a good size where people are Googling what the default password on their databases so they can get into it. I'm like, all right, this is a little bit of a security (laughs) risk here, guys.
1: (laughs) And and I don't think you have to have like any of the high priced fancy, um, you know, EDR solutions that a lot of enterprises have, but even from a small and medium sized business. most small and medium-sized businesses, I would say, they you know they may use things like um, Microsoft, right? They, Microsoft does a pretty yeah. good job of catering to um, that that particular group. Um, and if you look at their security solutions that they that they include these days, I mean, they're they're pretty good. Like their Defender and um, a lot of the, oh, yeah. their Casby, just the different things that you can use just as a part of. Um, you know, running servers through them or having email through them that they include are, are actually pretty good. So it doesn't have to be anything, um, you know, high price that, that you would find at an enterprise level per se.
0: Yeah, and Microsoft's done. Uh, th- there's published guidelines on securing Microsoft 365, which is ubiquitous out there. Mm-hmm. Um, something that we see is a lot of times, uh, you know, it's just reading through that and. M- there's a lot of misconfigurations out there that lead to security gaps and they're not intentional. It's just. Doing the work, right, reading about it and then actually doing the work and executing
1: it. it. And sometimes, you know, in the SMB space, it's a matter of of um, expertise and, and workers as well. Right. So sometimes you have one guy who um, has to wear several different hats. Right. And so it's not intentional right. that they leave things like that. but. You know, Microsoft has done a pretty good job of, you know, being able to run reports, giving you like Security Center and some other tools that you can use to, to make sure that you haven't left anything open and your ports aren't open and that you have it configured correctly.
0: You're right. So, Tim, what in your experience have you seen as like the top three causes of security incidents occurring that you've come across? Um.
1: So. Uh, I would say number one, and, and it's a little bit trite potentially at, at this point, but it's probably trite for a reason. Um, I mean, phishing is still a thing, right? And I hate to say that it's not, but um, oh, if yeah. you uh, I just I was just looking at the news earlier today and there was a company that um, like two of the companies that I've seen that have gotten a lot of um, venture capital funding have been email security companies. Right. And, I'm, and I, yeah. it, at, at first, that kind of surprised me. Um, cause you know, there's a couple of pretty established ones out there, including Microsoft themselves, which has a pretty robust, um, uh, you know, email security solution, but it's, but it's still a problem out there. Right. And whether it's, um, there's a bunch of different forms of, of phishing, right. It could be just, um, the classic gift card scheme where um, they get an email yeah. and they send it on and they say, Hey, Hey, Manoj. Um, You know, this is the CEO, and I'm too busy right now to go do this. But I need you to go get some gift cards for me and send me the the numbers on the gift cards, right? But I can't talk on the phone right now, right? So that level of phishing, but from a breach perspective, it's still super common um, to um, find. Look, use open source reconnaissance on LinkedIn. um, Find the people. Maybe you want to get into their cloud, so you'll find some of the cloud administrators, or maybe you want to get into Office 365, so you'll look around and find out who could potentially be managing and have access to O365 in a company and try and fish them or get in through HR or something like that. Right. So that's still a very, um, a very common way because typically um, you know, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but a lot of times still, once you get into a network, like you're in, there's not a lot like segmentation can be hard. And so uh, that just finding a way in and then you can kind of pivot from there, right? So that's, so I would say fishing um, is, is one cause. Uh, I put um, access control as, as another one because I feel like, okay. um, especially with, um, especially in the, in the, maybe the small and medium-sized business where uh, you're wearing multiple hats, sometimes uh, we don't do a great job of, um, we just kind of give everybody access because they need it to do their job. But maybe we never go back and review if they still need the access. Maybe you've grown and their position has changed, or um, just over uh, over provisioning, uh, over permissioning is a big uh, is a big deal.
0: And do you see along that note deprovisioning as still being an issue mm-hmm. that's persistent out there? I,
1: I do both in the small and the and the medium sized uh, businesses. I was I was giving. Um, I was given a, another webinar the other the other week, and I have an example that I use in there of a of a large of a large enterprise of somebody who um, in their cloud environment uh, left and um, uh, went on to a different job, and then uh, about a year later, um, all of a sudden, this company's software crashed. Right, and what it found out was the guy who had left provisioned a bunch of infrastructure because he still had permissions. He crashed the entire um, software stack and cost you know uh, about a million and a half dollars um, in damage. Uh, whether it was whether he meant to do that or not is inconse- wow. inconsequential. But they had to take him to court um, and kind of give some oh, of their man. money back. So it's 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 very much a problem, and that's why um, um, that's why I, I think that um, it's 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 very common that especially when people leave, we don't always go and in, in, in clean up. That's why things like Okta... And single sign-on are, are really still um, kind of killing it in the market, um, but also in, um, it, it's also a kind of an, an issue with insider threats with uh, um, you know people people kind of being able to to get to different areas because they maybe their jobs change um, and they never get access taken away not just if they leave the company so still a very big problem.
0: Yeah, that's we've seen that quite a bit. Um, we've seen that in healthcare where. You see a lot of the individual providers in the environment are actually subcontractors in many instances, and a lot of them moonlight at different organizations. Mm-hmm. So their permissions can, I mean, their roles can even actually change during the day where they may be an employee at one facility, but then may moonlight in the ER at another facility. Right. I- and those. It, it's tough. I'm it's sorry, tough, right?
1: And it's not because people are, are lazy, but it's, it's just it's hard to do. Right. It, it's hard to manage permissions. It's hard to um, uh, provision, you know, uh, when somebody comes on, give them exactly what they need and then manage the, the transition of roles. It's just a hard thing that requires resources and, and, and software to do.
0: And you mentioned, you know, like putting in some kind of a single sign on solution with lifecycle management would probably help automate portions of it. Uh, but they should again it access control, privileged account management. Look at those user lists, try and limit it to who really needs access, limit limit access. And and I think uh, keeping things simple. I mean, a lot of times a lot of organizations get carried away with immense complexity and role definitions and that may come back to haunt them at a later point. It
1: definitely <laughs> will. But, but that's why one of the first, like if I'm building a cyber program, one of, um, one of my first hires typically is like a GRC person, right? Because inside of a good GRC program, even on a small team, um, I build kind of an, an audit um, function in there, right? Where, you know, every uh, six months, every quarter, you're going back and you're looking to make sure people are deprovisioned, like you're looking for the and kind of going back and making sure that the processes you have in, in place work. Like it, it's a super important um, function.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. You're the first CISO we've had on the program that's actually mentioned that where you're uh, starting it off with the GRC function. It wouldn't have occurred. I to think me the, the last time I that, started
1: right? a, a cyber function, I think they were the number uh, f- three or four higher, I think, something like that. So it wasn't the first. Um, typically, it's like an engineer or somebody pretty technical. But it was it wasn't way far down. Right. It it is important because um, without getting off track too much, but like it's a core function to be able to go through um, as you as your company grows, even smaller companies are typically getting ISO or SOC 2 certified and having that GRC functions kind of a core tenet of being able to do that.
0: So you mentioned two items there. In terms of phishing, in terms of access control, what's a third one that you see? That's a um, it's that's it's a um,
1: it's application security. Like I, I know we we touched on it with the library stuff, but um, uh, you know I've been doing AppSec now for um, uh, I think twenty years. If 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 I did my math on the fly, right? Wow. Right. So um, in the in twenty years ago, we were finding SQL injection, and guess what? We're still finding SQL injection today, right? See, so yeah. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it's still. I, I think the, the the main thing that's changed, if I look at over the course of the years, is um, our languages have gotten smarter. Um, where SQL injection quite isn't is is easy to do as it used to be, but our pervasive use of open source has really um, has really caused some um, some different risks, right? Um, because if you if you think about Couple of the ones that have happened lately, you know, log4j is kind of the the one that's been talked about so much lately.
0: Yeah,
1: but um, uh, you know, everybody could have done everything correctly from their perspective, and and perform testing on their code, but in the end, the weakest link was something you didn't even write, right? Um, and and I and so so much code these days is, is open source that you don't have any control over, so. So application security is still um, a big one for me, even if it's not your code specifically, it's um, it's uh, it could be somebody else's code that you just reuse.
0: Yeah. I, you know, if someone's built a portal out there, I would highly advise them to have their websites pen, uh for lack of a better word, penetration tested, but it's really application mm-hmm. testing uh, it. They really should have a deep dive into that because the findings might actually surprise them as to how easy it is. I, I remember there was a, um, a, I forget who put it out, but there was a tweet. It was about a, uh, a fellow in a car and he had actually put a SQL injection query on the front of his oh, bumper. And when he drove past the, uh, speed cameras in the UK, it actually worked. Did it really? Oh, that's a fantastic story. <laughs> it did. You gotta look. It, you, you gotta look it up. I was like, wow. I I didn't think of that, but that's that's pretty neat. Uh, yeah, if you uh, look it up, you'll Google find done. it. It's it's somewhere out there. But it's a, it's an example, right? People, uh, people should absolutely test the heck it, out of their it. Don't
1: let like oh, when I built I built a couple of things like with my side company um in the past and that was just part of my budget uh i you know i had a guy who i know would do it for me on the side um and it should just be part of your budget and there are ways to do it if you're you know it doesn't have to be a big hundred thousand dollar price tag to um to do a a pen test right there are pen test as a service companies out there that are that are very reasonably priced for you know for smaller businesses you don't have to you know go for the the big names that'll charge you um, six figures
0: You know, and that actually leads right into the next topic. You know, when you talk about six figures, big price tags, a lot of small, medium businesses, and and I'm saying those companies that are around 2000 employees or less, you know, anywhere from 30 to 2000 people, they get scared, you know, uh, there is an anxiety about the amount of spend that or perception about the amount of spend that would be required. To build a robust cybersecurity program that does defense in depth, how would you advise that segment of the market to really look at building a program? What what would you do for them?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of um, being pragmatic with a solution. Like, like um, you know, I. I do cloud security in my day job, and I get this question even quite a bit there, like, holy crap, like, where do you start in cloud security, right? (laughs) Um, And so I tend to just say, you know, start small by understanding kind of the scope um, of the problem. And so what I have done and what I would probably advise someone to do would be to to just go through like an open source framework, like the NIST CSF, right? Open source framework that you can download and just go through and kind of... Do an audit of yourself, right? The you first, and you don't have to be a cybersecurity expert to do this, and um, just kind of understand what you have in place and what you don't have in place. Because most likely, if you're even if you're starting a security program from scratch, you're not starting security from scratch. Like like your um, your Linux admins probably have a decent security yeah. posture going on. Those guys, you know, are pretty smart usually when it comes to that. Your Windows guys are likely using like, you know, Defender and they got the firewall set up. You probably have some level of security to to start with. So it's helped to understand, um, you know, just where you're at from kind of an established um, framework. And so I would just start with the NIST CSF. That's where I started uh, before we had like SOC 2 and things like that in my previous roles. Um, And then once you kind of have that filled out um, to kind of understand where your gaps are, then I would start to know to look at um, like where's my biggest risk, right? So, um, it, you know, is my biggest risk my um, my my data? Like, like if I'm a, a maybe a small healthcare company, but I've got some patient data or I have some some PHI, like that's going to be where you're going to focus your time and, and money. And how do I what, how do I take the framework that I just looked at and and look to secure that, right? Don't try and secure everything at once. But just kind of take it, you know, find out what's the most um, important thing for me to secure. If you're, um, uh, if you're a, a small uh, size business that's in the cloud, where you know you do have data stored and exposed there, then probably securing your cloud is going to be where you're going to start because that's the most, um, uh, just that's just the most obvious place.
0: So let me ask you real quick. Um... People who are using things like Box or OneDrive or Dropbox for general storage, how secure are those environments? I, I think
1: by, by their nature, they, they are secure, but it goes back to the access control, right? Um, so because a lot of times we will um, share with if you're sharing internally, then, then, then they're fine. But a lot of times we will share externally. And then we don't we don't control who they can share with. Um, we forget uh, what's there, so it's just kind of hanging out. So by the nature themselves, they're secure. But by human nature, um, they tend to get out of control um, a little bit. And uh, and so there there are ways. Obviously, you know, with the reviews that we talked about earlier, that can be part of your reviews to go back and look through um, the external shares and having kind of an official policy about what can be shared and what can't. Um, when you start getting a little bit smarter, um, just to kind of give an example that I think is applicable to the SMB um, area, uh, I talked about Microsoft and their tools earlier, uh, You know, we had put in a process, right. they've got a pretty cool uh, ability to um, monitor what you are uh, sending out through email and also sharing and drive. So you can you can say things like if you see a social security number, like don't let that be sent through email and don't let it be stored in a drop. Like you can set up policies like that, that can help control the data um, somewhat as well. Right. And so, but inherently themselves, I, I don't find them to be insecure because you can do two factor and you can do all sorts of things these days with
0: them. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, so okay. sorry to sorry yeah. to put you off track, but you were you were because that's is. an important one. Cloud. I, I mean, we see a lot of most companies, especially in the startup space. No one's putting any infrastructure on prem. It's it's all. cloud. Yeah. Why 100%, would you
1: 100 percent like why would you? Why? And, and you know, we'll just build it on right. AWS instead of, uh, you know, putting servers in a data center. Right. And, and there are good and bad to that. But right. um, it, and the other thing that I would say is, you know, you don't have to. Um, Once again, like you don't have to get the best of the breed if if you're not in a place where you can quite afford it yet, right? Like, you know, if if you look at a lot of these tools at the enterprise level, I mean, they make I I work in it day in the day out, and they make my head explode. You know, sometimes when you get these, you know, these six figure um, quotes back, right? And so, I I totally get it that if you're a a 50 person company, you're probably not going to want to spend $300,000 for for an application security product, right? So but that is where I, I go back to um, open source. Like, just look for some open source stuff. Like, focus on the people first. Like, people, process, and technology. Like, focus on the people and the process first. And then find, then you can kind of find the right technology. Because there's a lot of open source out there that's, that's well-maintained. Like, if you're looking for something um, to do cloud security, uh, there's a couple of uh, yeah. open source projects. Um, you know, Capital One used to even have one that they open sourced. Um, Netflix.
0: Can you? Yeah, I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, you mentioned some. I, that I, I was like, I just drew a blank.
1: Um, but, but, but there used to be <laughs> Capital okay. One uh, used to have one for AWS. You could just Google uh, Capital One and, and AWS security. Um, I think Cloud Checker might still be out there. It's spelled a little bit funky. Um, I think there's just a KR on okay. it. Um, uh, so those those are a couple okay. that that are out there that can you know help you from. Um, From a cloud perspective, right? Looking for those, looking for those, um, those kind of the, I call it cloud security posture, making sure, like, if you're in AWS, that that you're secure. Um, And same thing with application security, right? Like, if you look at, um, just to kind of throw some out there, you know, SonarCube is is a super common one, right? And the cool thing about SonarCube is they have, a lot of things that are no no cost. Like you can go to the enterprise level, and they have some cool features. But for someone in a in a SMB space that just wants to be able to test their Java app, like that that's that's there at no cost, right? And there's there's fine sec bugs um, is another one uh, that you that you can run from a command line that finds security in Java, um, and and so wow. uh,
0: that one I didn't know. That's a that good one. A, that's um, a
1: good one. Um, I, and I, I go through a few of these. You mentioned the LinkedIn training. But, um, you know, if someone has any more questions, they can connect to me and I can tell them. But I, I go through a few of them on the continuous application security um, training on LinkedIn. But um, but there's all sorts of open source. So there's ones for secret scanning um, uh, where you can go through, make sure you don't put any passwords in your configuration or source code. So um, I guess my point is um, that there's even from a GRC perspective, I, I have one up and running today that I use it's an open source product called Iramba, which is e- okay. Um and they have a. It's open. It's um, open source. You can download it, compile it, build it yourself, or you can actually pay for the. Uh, they do have a full fledged enterprise version as well, but for someone who just needs to set up a GRC function to help their auditing, um, it's it's free, right? So, um, so so you know you don't have to go straight for the most expensive tools to have a a a good um, cyber program. It's really, to me, important to have the the right people in place and the right uh, processes in place first.
0: I think that's great advice. You know, uh, there's Gartner has, you know, their wonderful magic quadrants and, and those products are applicable to a lot of people and do a lot of good things. But at the same time, they may not be affordable by everyone. So what you're advising is exactly correct. Look at alternative uh, approaches, uh, open source tools, and and thank you for providing some of those very useful tips. I, I think the audience is going to find them and we'll put them in the show notes as well um, so that people can, can go and link up and, and take a look sure. at those technologies. But I want to get back to one thing You met you started off with people first and I and this is just me personally. It's my opinion that people are the greatest underutilized security asset in a company. Right. I I think there's a lot of security gaps we could close if we actually educated the people, the the end users and got them involved. A lot of times what happens is. think cybersecurity is some nebulous function. It's a guy in a hoodie in the back room (laughs) that's doing something Um, They're they're not in touch with it. They don't have contextual awareness uh, of the cybersecurity problem. Uh, And at other times, a lot of policies get rolled out to them for which They don't even understand why. So they just kind of blow it off. You know, they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, You're right. (laughs) And it's not that it's malicious intent. It's human nature. If you tend to. You tend to do things that you understand and that appear logical to you. So how do we make cybersecurity logical to that end user? community? Um,
1: I I personally that's a that's that's a good question. So. I, I think cybersecurity to, to actually um, work well as a function has to have the buy-in of everybody ar- around you, right? So, you know, you're, to me, like whenever I would push um, policies out, um, I, I always would bring in the team that was going to be affected or having to do the push out to get their thoughts, right? And, and so, like if I'm going to be pushing out some a new antivirus solution um, to the company, like I would bring in um, those particular guys, the, the administrators and say, Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to do this because of the the false positive rate in the previous one. It's not great. This is a new way of doing things. You know, what do you think? How can we go about doing it? Right. And so I'm a big believer in just not throwing stuff over the wall, but getting buy-in of everybody um, that you're going to be, you're going to be working with. Right. So it's kind of goes back to what you mentioned, the, the education around it. Um, and, and so, um, I, I want to educate kind of everybody that that I work with on, on why we're doing things and why it's important, just so they don't see it as a useless function or a, a checkbox. Um, that That's my general philosophy right. um, around it.
0: Yeah, we see uh, a lot of that where so, some things get implemented and people just don't understand the why. And then they're like, yeah, maybe we'll follow it. Maybe we won't. And, and that results in a lot of gaps. And they just uh, people by and large, what we've seen is end users are good people. They they will uh, oblige you and and do the right thing if they understand Mm -hmm. the why behind it. And that's and and I would encourage companies to really have that as part of a a good cybersecurity program is have some end user education.
1: you know, You're right. What are A couple, a couple of points. I always like to, um, when I'm rolling something out, whether it's application, cloud security, network, whatever, you know, I try and find, if it, you know, is there a way to make this easier for um, the people that are going to be helping me, right? So, um, you know, for example, when I'm doing, um, just use application security um, as an example, when I'm rolling out an application security tool, um, I don't usually go to the developers and say, here's the tool you have to use, go and do it. What I, what I would, what I do is I say, all right, let me see how I can get this in the environment that you work in. So if they're, if they code like in visual studio, you know, cause they're, it's a Microsoft shop, then I'm going to make my tool work with visual studio so that they can continue to just kind of work in their environment and I'm not requiring them to do extra work. So finding that's, that's part of the communication is, is how can I, I don't want to make their job harder because they always have a, ton, a bunch of stuff to do. Um, but how can I, Meet them kind of where they are, and, and so not only do they understand, but I'm, I'm going to make it easy for them to do what I need them to do. And then the second part that you mentioned is, is training. I'm a big believer in, in cyber training for for everybody. Um, you know, if if um, if I'm doing um, appsec, like my coders are going to get um, application security training. Um, if 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 I'm dealing with with network guys or server guys, like they're going to get training for Linux security, right? I'm a big believer that everybody should have some sort of security training because security is, is everybody's ultimately it's everybody's responsibility. It's not my responsibility. I, I tend to think these days as we're going faster and quicker, ultimately, as you progress through, um, a maturity process in the, um, cyber group, I, I tend to think that we shift more from doers to, to auditors, right? Like, so ultimately, like at the very beginning, like we're going to be in their hands on keyboard running tests. But ultimately, at the end, like the tools should be in the developers hands. We just have to make sure that they're actually doing and fixing. So um, if that if that's that's the whole, why the education is so important.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you uh, one other question here, and, and it has to do with budgets and getting back to cyber a lot of time. Cybersecurity, it generally has in the past fallen into the cost avoidance category, right? Have you seen companies use cybersecurity as a revenue center?
1: Um, I've seen them I've seen them try and do that before. Um uh it, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit tough. Um that usually comes in more enterprise level, where you can do the bit like the billback kind of models and and things like that in the the SMB space, I found it to be a little bit um, harder. Um, You know, if you're talking about like internal revenue model.
0: um... Well, yeah, and you know, well, I'm thinking like if we if we implement um, good security on a e-commerce platform Mm -hmm. that a small business may be using it or where that actually could not only Automate. So like, for example, if if there was some kind of uh, identity management, whatever it may be, that's for external identities implemented on a company's external platform that might enable them to then provide cloud based services to that audience. It might enable them to provide information in a secure way, all of which leading to additional sales or additional uh, revenue from services potentially. That's what I'm thinking about and it's what you're implementing yeah. is a security function there, but it's that's resulting. In I have revenue. not thought about
1: that. I have, not, I have not seen that, but that's an interesting way of looking at it. So basically you kind of build it and then you kind of sell in, in essence, kind of what you built to give additional revenue. I have not seen that before.
0: Yeah, I, uh, you know, that's something um, that I haven't seen discussed much out there either, but it would be, uh, I think it's worthwhile to at least have the discussion on that and say, you know, if we're implementing a certain set of security features, quote unquote, uh, operationally, where do they impact the revenue chain and are they enabling aspects of that revenue chain that couldn't have been enabled if we didn't. Put those I've seen it in? a little
1: bit differently. Like I've seen it where um, cybersecurity has been used to uh, eliminate some risks that, that enabled um, us to go after more business. Meaning, um, for example, there's certain types of business you can go only go after if you have NIST compliance, maybe some more governmental um, type of business or HIPAA in the medical space. I have seen it where they have put forth the, the model and the maturity to get to a certain place in their cybersecurity function where it enables them to go after more business because, Hey, we're NIST certified. Now we can go get these government clients or now We're HIPAA certified. We can take, we can sign VAs and take in these healthcare folks. Like I, I have seen it, um, you know, that level. And it typically has been more of a, of a compliance level perspective that allows more revenue to be generated.
0: Okay. Very cool. Well, Tim, we're, uh, here nearing the hour. Uh, we wanted to give you a couple minutes uh, if there's anything you'd like to share, any books, any speaking engagements you have coming out, anything uh, that you would like our audience to know about. No, I think uh, the biggest please.
1: thing, um, I appreciate the time. Um, if you get a chance, do check out um, the uh, uh, my course on uh, courses on LinkedIn. So I've got a new revision coming out for the DevSecOps course, which kind of introduces the concept of what is DevSecOps. Um, And then I also have one called um, continuous application security, which takes you. How can you build application security into DevOps um, and make it kind of more automated? So if you get a chance and either of those are um, interesting uh, to you, then um, check those out.
0: And Tim, are those courses designed for uh, a practitioner or what level are they? Are they an intro? Who would you recommend?
1: The application security one, you should have a little bit of background, probably um, in AppSec, not like years, but just kind of an understanding of, of um, what application security is, That would help. But the DevSecOps one is anybody that wants to know more about DevSecOps, what it is and, and how it can affect you and, and how you can roll security um, into it. That one's kind of an intro.
0: Well, uh, fantastic. Well, Tim, I really appreciate you joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you. And we hope to have you back again sometime as, as uh, things change. And would love to get uh, picked that's up. That's a Thank you, Manoj. Appreciate the time. Topics.